You may gather from the reading if you're here on Friday night that there's a little bit of an overlap and a bit of a continuity. Uh, but God's good like that because he gives us um, some thoughts and uh, let's see what he has today. Um, I want to think about the fact that we, uh, as a people of God, uh, should be sanctified and purposeful. And, um, you know, going ahead with a purpose and want to move forward. There's quite a famous uh, sketch uh, that Rowan Atkinson used to do. And um, I'm not going to do the sketch, you'd be pleased to know. I'm not going to go that way. But it was performed and it was about purpose and direction. And it was from an, an amusing perspective of a dodgy old MP who'd seen all sorts of things in Parliament not happening. Um, now, you can take away whatever you think about that. You might think that's very close to reality. Um, but anyway, the punchline uh, alluded to the fact that often people are hoping or fumbling, and that's the best they can get, because the punchline is along the lines of, we don't want to be like the man in the dark room looking for the black cat. And everybody starts to laugh. And he finishes off with the line that isn't there. Because there isn't anything there. So fumbling, looking for something that isn't there. But as Christians, we can do better than that, can't we? Because we have someone who is there and something that is tangible. We thought about Friday night, about our inheritance, which we've got, reserved in heaven for each one of us. Great. Well, in our reading today from Ephesians Paul is exhorting us to be set apart and purpose-driven. The Lord's given us absolutely everything. He has absolutely everything. And that should motivate us to be driven with and by his purpose. Charles Spurgeon makes reference to verse 4. Verse 4 uh, in my Bible says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight holy and blameless in his sight. And Charles Spurgeon says this, God's electing love is the commencement of all blessing. In other words, because God loved us, then we are drawn into his families, we accept his love, his offer of salvation, and that's the starting point where we are blessed, we are transformed, we are changed into something completely new. We are born again. It is the commencement of all blessing. This is the fountain from which the living waters flow. Car, could you do with a bit of living water, a bit of refreshment? Yeah? Great. From living waters flow, there would have been no stream of blessing to us at all if it had not been for the first primeval choice of us by God. Because God chose us, we are alive in him. That's true, isn't it? Is that not right? And in relation to holiness, Spurgeon goes on to say, Here is the blessing of sanctification. We are chosen that we may be made holy. To what nobler end could we have been elected? It is, is not this the very highest of our heart's desires, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love? Isn't that wonderful? That we'll be blameless and holy before him in love, in his, in his love, in Christ's love for, for us, but also our love for him. One commentator explains that, the, that this passage, um, which is headed in my Bible, Spiritual Blessings from Christ, is one sentence from verses 3 to verse 14. Right, now, 
just to double check, if you're at school, don't do a sentence this long because your English teacher won't like it very much. But that's because Paul isn't, isn't sort of jotting down things in an orderly fashion in that sense. It's because he starts to get excited about the blessings that we have in Christ. And then he thinks, I've got that, and I've got this, and I've got the other, and this, this as well. And when you look at them through, we are blessed. It says there, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, we're being adopted. We thought about that on Friday night. We, we um, are to the praise of his glorious grace. We've been freely given. He's freely given us the one he loves. In him we have redemption. All of the riches of his grace. So Paul is getting more and more excited so it causes him to sort of run off when he's writing the sentence, which is <coughs> however many words long. But it's great. Isn't it great to get excited about the things that God has done for you? To get excited about the riches of his grace. To get excited when you start to, as the old, old hymn says, to count your blessings. To be aware of what he's done for us. He's getting caught up in, in praise. And that should be the same for us. As we consider what our Saviour has done, then we should be caught up in praise, shouldn't we? And adoration. It says there that he blesses us. The Heavenly, Heavenly Father blesses us from heavenly realms. And shouldn't that draw out songs of praise and words of adoration and lifting up our spirits to him as we think about that gift after gift, wonder after wonder in our lives come to mind when we, when we consider what God has done for us. The Amplified Version of verse 3 and 4 reads like this. Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms in Christ, just as in love he chose us in Christ, and I've, I've underlined this bit, actually selected us for himself as his own. We are his own. We're precious to him. Isn't that wonderful? We're precious to him. Before the foundation of the world, so that you would be holy, that is, consecrated, set apart, for him, purpose-driven and blameless in his sight. And I guess, well not guess, I know that in this section Paul considers the purpose of God's choice, doesn't he? Firstly, before we think about that, thank you Lord that he chose us. Is that right? Thank you Lord that he chose us. What was special about us? Not a lot really. But he chose us. And Jesus even said it in John 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Well, first of all, how pleased and delighted and overjoyed are you about the fact that you've been chosen? And whatever other adjective you might think of, God chose you and me. Great. Thank you, Lord. Take note of this, though. In verse 4 of the reading, it reminds us that he has chosen us in him. We underlined that on Friday night, too. In him. That's where we have the special relationship with our Father in Him. Not by works, but because of Jesus' sanctifying work on the cross. We are saved, and we are saved through Him alone. And so then we are qualified to be chosen. Qualified. I mean, the scripture says in so many different places, doesn't it? Many are called. Yes? Many are called. 
to as many as receive him. For God so loved the world. Well, that, those phrases, encompass everybody. But then it goes on to say, but few are chosen. That's because we need to be qualified. We need to be in him. Many are called, but how many are in him? God chose us that we should be holy and blameless. Two great words. Now, I'm not going to go through blameless as well, but holy is what I'm thinking of this morning. Set apart, sanctified. And uh, holy is from the Greek word hagios. Hagios, set apart. And um, it's an idea of separation, the concept of separation. The temple was holy because it was separate, separated from other buildings, wasn't it? The priest was holy because we're different from ordinary people. God is supremely holy because he is different from all mankind and all creation. He's far above all. The Sabbath is holy because it is different from other days. And we could go on like that, couldn't we? So then God chose us as Christians, as believers, as followers of him, people like you and me, to be different, to be set apart, to be hagios. And here's the challenge that sometimes the modern church, not talking about our church, the church universal, doesn't seem to face very easily. In the early church, the Christian never had any doubt that they had to be different to the world. Isn't that true? People stood up on the day of Pentecost and everybody looked because something different was happening. And you read about other acts of the apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit, as some people call it, through that first book of, of the Holy Spirit coming and everything that happened, and how there was a marked difference in people when the Holy Spirit moved upon them. In fact, they were so different that there was a possibility of death. And that's the same in some regions of the world today, isn't it? But the tendency for some modern churches has been to play down the difference between the church and the world and Pastor Hayden referenced that last week, I think, uh, as he was speaking. In effect, acquiesced to what the world does. And in fact, the Christian shouldn't be a chameleon, but there should be a stark contrast. It should be identifiable by the world. It must always be remembered that the difference in which Christ insists, insists on is not one which takes us out of the world but that we're different in the world. That we're different in the world. It should be possible to identify the Christian in the school, in the place of work, the factory, the office, the hospital ward, the wherever. The difference should be evident in the way the Christian behaves, not as human laws or rules or regulations required, although we should be keeping those, unless they're against God's word, but as the love of Christ compels us, as the love of Christ compels us to do, under the wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit. A Christian teacher shouldn't just be out to keep the rules of the education authority or you know, look good in terms of the head teacher, but exhibit Jesus that will mean a different attitude towards pupils. A born-again worker might have to satisfy the regulations of trades union, but has greater standards in the Lord. The Lord should make them a very different kind of worker. A believing nurse or doctor will have regard for a sick person as an individual who they care for and not just a name 
or a number. A Christian employer should be concerned with far more than the payment of wages or minimum working conditions. It has been suggested that if enough Christians became hagios, holy, different, then the world would be revolutionised as we know it. If the Lord would take 12 and then the 3,000 that were added and transform the world, how much more can he do with us here this morning? There may be one purpose that drives us being hagios, set apart, holy, but there are many motivations. And what, what sort of motivations? Well, to please God, that's a great motivation, isn't it? To please him. To be a faithful witness to him and what he's done for us. To set an example for our friends and for our family. To strive for deeper things in Christ, to be closer to him. To want our fellowship here, Emmanuel, to be impactful and make a difference. Or simply to be closer to him. Be holy as I am holy. I'm pleased to say that God doesn't leave us to strive, or dare I say struggle, on our own either. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3-5 from the Amplified Version, encourages like this. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you, setting you on a firm foundation and will protect and guard you from the evil one. Isn't that great? I thought about on Friday night the fact that, you know, nothing could take our inheritance away from us. It was beyond the, the grasp or reach of decay. Well, the Lord has set us on a firm foundation, protect and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you're doing and will continue to do things which we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of, into the love of God and into the steadfastness and patience of Christ. That's a great prayer from Paul, isn't it? Paul's prayer was that the believer's hearts may be directed into the love of God. Directed, purposeful, consistent, holy, set apart. And Jesus even emphasised this in John 17. Very well known section, didn't he? Very well known part of uh, the New Testament. The Amplified Version expands it slightly. Sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart. Make them holy. Your word is truth. And what, what sets us apart? What sets us apart? We've already thought a little bit about that. And it's not just the supreme honour that we are chosen. We are chosen, but it's not just that that sets us apart. Not just the fact that we're chosen by the King of Kings. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? Can you imagine if somebody said this morning that you were going to be involved in the celebrations over the May Bank Holiday weekend. Wow. Well, we're involved in an even greater way because the King of Kings has chosen us. <clears throat> he reigns in truth. He reigns and is holy. And His Spirit is striving in us to align us more and more with our Heavenly Father. Not that we're perfect, because we still stumble, don't we? We still make mistakes. Well, I'll speak for myself. You might agree. But that shouldn't stop us from being motivated to be more true to him. The truth of God's word. The truth of God. Remembering that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That sets us apart. The truth that Jesus came to set us free. 
Is that right? The truth that Jesus came to set us free, that sets us apart. The truth that he died and rose again and is alive today. The truth that sin and death and hell are defeated. The truth that Jesus saves to do the most. The truth that we are special to and loved by a heavenly father. The truth that no one cares for us like Jesus. No one. The truth that life in all its fullness is found in no one, absolutely no one but him. He said it, I am the way, the truth and the life. Sanctified by the truth, the living truth, the living word, dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit. Set apart to live, to serve, to worship. We thought a little bit about this on Friday night too. We're sanctified to shine the truth in a dark world. To shine the truth. So the challenge for us as individual believers is to be set apart, to be purpose-driven. And it's a fellowship too. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this again in the Amplified Version. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you from where? Out of darkness into his marvellous light. We've already thought about the fact of being chosen by God. God chose you. He chose me. Don't know why he chose me. He must have had a sense of humour. But he did. The fact that we are part of a priesthood. A priesthood contains people set apart for service. But more than that, it says there that we're a royal priesthood. And that status is extra special, but that's not a status that we've earned ourselves. The royalty, the majesty, the kingship, the sovereignty, sovereignty are all his. The king of kings. What a privilege, though, it is to be enrolled by the Prince of Peace, isn't it? Incredible. And his aspiration for us is that we continue our conversion, our salvation, to be a holy nation. If I was to ask you a couple of questions about nations, let's see what you, you would suggest. Nations have an identity that people recognise, don't they? Now, if I was to say, what do you think of when you think of Japan? Well, I, I'll give you the answers. They're sort of rhetorical questions, these. Technology. Would you say that's fair enough? If you were to think of Germany, what would you think of? Efficiency, engineering, that sort of thing. The Arab Emirates, you might think of oil or wealth. When people think of the Church of Christ Jesus, what do they think of? Is it a holy nation of God? Set apart and sanctified? That's the prayer that we may be of, of, of a holiness that proclaims his excellencies, the wonderful deeds, the virtues, the perfections of him who sits on the throne. I mentioned on Friday night that recently I've been reading through Ezekiel. And um, I'm going to mention it again. So if you want to go home and read it, you can sweat it out as much as I have. It's, um, it can be hard work in places. But anyway, there's some wonderful thoughts from there. 
as you near the end of the book in chapter 40 onwards, Ezekiel has an amazing encounter. Absolutely incredible. He's shown a heavenly vision. He's got an angelic guide. Wow, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? And up with an angelic guide to take him through the restoration of the land and the people, the priesthood, and very strikingly, the temple. And in chapter 43, it's an incredible picture of the glory of the Lord returning to the temple. And Ezekiel says this, I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters and the land was radiant with his glory. That's a picture, isn't it? What a picture that is. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters and the land was radiant with his glory. How magnificent our God is. The prophet goes on to describe all the precise measurements of each and every room and station. And that just goes to show to me how precise our God is about our salvation. And how much he cares in detail for each one of us. And I notice that the measurements are given in a cubit and a hand breadth. And you know often the measurements in the Bible are a cubit. Well here they were given a cubit and a hand breadth. Because God doesn't just give enough. He gives more than enough. More than we'll ever need. More than we'll ever, ever will face us. He gives more than enough for each one of us. It says there's a river flowing from the temple. And where the river flows, everything will live. Everything will live. And in the final chapter, 48, there's a division of land. And it's sort of in parallel with Galatians and Revelations. talks about a new city, a heavenly Jerusalem. And the final verse really hit me. It says this. And the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. And as temples of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we aspire to be sanctified and purpose-driven? Perhaps then people, even outside, will save this place. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. And I want to finish with what is essentially a prayer that's from 1 Thessalonians 5. And this is from the English Standard Version. Just for him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.